All right. <laughs> yeah, you you psyched. You're psyched to talk. Can I? You are psyched to I talk. I am. About I'm this book. very psyched to talk about this. And I was supposed to record two episodes of shows today, and I had and I postponed one, so I'm even more excited because I know I won't get burned out. <laughs> <laughs> and it could you could get burned out very easily while you were talking about the girl who was on fire. The girl who was on fire. She did not get burned out herself. Can I just take a second to point out the irony of the fact that you were. So cheesed at the fact that I made you read Bridge to Terabithia again. A book which contains the death of one child. And then you're like, well, because you made me read that, I'll make you read The Hunger Games, which involves the death of all children. All everywhere. children, yeah. I did do the sassy hands on hips motion. You did. Oh my like, gosh. Well, I Listeners, if never. you can see Christy putting her fists to her hips and and doing this the frequency with which i actually do that is higher than you would think for being a 35 year old woman i yes, just love to i'm assuming that you're sass. just striking the superman pose when you do it constantly constantly i am doing that uh yeah are we ta- we're talking about the hunger games that's well, a thing that we're talking about but right? before we talk about the hunger games let's talk about who we are yes yes uh oh my name's christy and my name is phil yeah, and this is a, this show is called Pizza Toast, and it has become expansive, and we are now in the world of YA dystopias out of nowhere, because Josh Hutcherson reminded me of them. <laughs> I think this is amazing, that it is 2023, and we are talking about a book that no one has talked about in 10 years, which means that in 2033, we'll be covering, I don't know, The Last of Us TV series, because that's oh, what everyone's talking about now, today. want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> is that a thing that you want to talk about? Because I'm all in. That's all I've been talking about when I'm not thinking about the Hunger Games. Oh, uh, can you describe what this podcast is? You're really good at that. Uh, we talk about uh, YA fiction and the media adaptations thereof. It started out as a Babysitter's Club Netflix series podcast, but now we we try to focus on books that focus on young women or girls. Uh, I mean, Bridget Terabithia and Stargirl kind of took a left turn from that at times, but... I would say that girl was still the central thesis, so. (laughs) It's true. That is true. Even Bridge to Terabithia, which is undeniably narrated by boy, is still about girl. Right, right. And written by woman. So Yes. uh, But we're back back firmly in girl zone. Firmly. Back to... Right to the girl basics. Listen, this and boy, oh boy, we get we get not only one but several girls in this book. So many girls, most of them dead by the end. Most of them dead. Most of them dead. And uh, with uh, I will say this about Bridge to Terabithia: uh, Leslie falls off a rope and smashes her head on a rock and drowns. Presumably, we never really know what happens to her. But I will tell you what doesn't happen to her. Uh, doesn't get turned into a genetically modified dog monster and forced oh. to try to kill uh, her best friend. So that's I one thing it's got going for it. convinced myself that I was making up how horrific the... Okay, so they're mutations, but maybe pronounce... How did Tatiana Maslany pronounce mutations? Mutations, mutations, yeah. She did do mutations, okay. Really hits so, the mutt. How did... uh? Who was your narrator? Oh, I uh, I actually ended up reading the book. Uh, oh. I had There is a good narrator on the original Scholastic one, but I remembered the experience of reading this book for the very first time in one day. And mm. as soon as I remembered that I had the hardcover copy, I was like, well, I got to do this again. 
Turns out the emotional constitution of me now is not as strong as it was when I was a teenager, because oh boy, could I only do an hour or two at a time of this. Caroline McCormick, that was who your the original yes. narrator was. It's, well, funny. it's good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I looking back, I originally listened to this book uh, years ago, so... I would have listened to her, but they got Tatiana Maslany to do the 10th anniversary edition, uh, <laughs> which is the same book, but it does include an interview at the end with Tatiana Maslany. That's like, <laughs> obviously just the, a person off mic asking her questions like, so did you ever read the Hunger Games before? And were you excited to be cast reading the Hunger Games? Like, that's literally it. It's, it's just, I mean, she's a charming woman. So, She's charming, and she would have been good Katniss casting at one point in time. I, I will say, yeah. honestly thought that the whole time. I was like, yeah. "Wow!" Because I, I, you know, Tatiana Maslany was a child actor, uh, and she, yeah, like she had that just like kind of like tiny but scrappy thing going for her. It's a thing that uh, I mean, we're going to talk about this so much yes. next week, and then two weeks after that, and then two weeks after that. Yeah, but. And maybe again two weeks after that. Three we'll weeks because uh, we'll the third is. Yeah, two. we would. I think only so. three. Yeah, because the third the third is split into two movies, which they loved doing for a while yeah, with thank uh, you, YA and Harry Mildred Potter, novels. Harry was, Potter, Twilight, yeah. and this. And I would actually argue that it was the right decision with these, but we will get there. Yeah, will, uh, uh, it was definitely the right decision with the last Harry Potter. But I, I would agree, and I would almost go to go so far as to say it should have been done with several of the Harry Potters because. A few of them were pretty squeezed for like getting just getting plot points out. That's our these are this is our bonus series of episodes where I just try to convince you that uh the Goblet of Fire is two great movies shoved together to make one bad movie. Yeah. Uh I, I don't have as big an issue with the movie of Goblet of Fire. The the scene where Cedric Diggory spoiler dies is uh Gutting agonizing to watch a master class in yeah. acting by the guy who plays Amos degree no it's yeah. one of my favorite scenes in the entire uh, film series which i've seen too many times it's the uh, moment but... where young kids watching this series go oh this is this is where it's turning isn't it <laughs> because mm-hmm. after that point you haven't had a father clutching his dead son screaming they killed my boy <laughs> as everyone's like yaying around him <laughs> That's also the first time Daniel Radcliffe has to act an emotion that is not kind of bumbling and uh-huh. and sweet when he has to like moan in agony over the body of his dead friend. Oh. It's also the point the movie where Daniel Radcliffe on um, being tortured by a noseless skeleton man goes to says to himself, "This isn't the weirdest thing I'm going to be involved in." <laughs> As he plays a farting corpse a few years later. He does do that, and, and he blinds some horses while nude now, on stage. But it is... Yes, he does. But it is... We're not discussing Harry Potter. We're not, but as we much as we But we wouldn't could be, be discussing this without Harry Potter. Like, yeah. which changed, yeah. as you have said many times, changed children's publishing forever. It did. It did. And this also... Timeline-wise, it's tricky, right? Because all of the YA dystopia novels came out in a rush around yeah. the same time. But this is the one that now stands the test of time as actually being very good. Yeah. And actually being memorable and not feeling like in any way a cash grab. You finish the first book 
and all you want is to read the second book. I think that might be because this book was written as a trilogy. So that is a, no, I mean, that's a huge part of it, obviously, yeah. because one of the things is actually written as a trilogy without there being, oh, this succeeded. Let's make a sequel. Uh, there is an endpoint in mind. Yes. And you can tell already what she is like. Oh, I'm so impressed by the way this book is written, by the way. <laughs> like, Suzanne Collins is a, an incredible writer. I, uh -huh. I, I want to go on record as saying good book. Good uh, book. Right up top here. Good book. But yeah, so Harry Potter comes along and is a scholastic property uh -huh. and really gains traction in the U.S. in 97, 98 when it's being published here. And then obviously there are six more books. They're a phenomenon. Uh, some of the most purchased books in history to date. And then Scholastic gets another property immediately after Harry Potter. This book is published in 2008 and it explodes in a very similar fashion but on a different scale because this is an extremely dark series this plums the depths in a way that jk rowling would never dream of doing it also owes a debt of gratitude to a book that had come out not terribly long before uh, and had also made a huge splash in the uh, in the publishing world. 2005's Twilight uh, by author. Have you heard of it? I <laughs> a little book by Stephanie Meyer that, regardless of what you think of the quality of it, uh, uh, took the world by storm and sort of brought young women focused literature like. Young, YA literature aimed at young women with a female protagonist. Uh, as much as people made fun of it, it brought it an air of legitimacy that had been lacking. And, and by air of legitimacy, I mean like studios started taking notice and being like, oh, girls yeah. read and buy things and go to movies and they like to see girls as, as protagonists. And what we'll see with the marketing of Hunger Games, especially as it goes along, is not... Not Suzanne Collins so much, but the marketers really seizing on this Team Edward, Team Jacob uh, 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 branding of the Hunger Games and really pushing the love triangle aspect, which is in the books, but which isn't what the books are about. Now, I'm already making a lot of faces over <laughs> here because one of the... Uh, like we. I was trying to rein in talking about this a bit before we recorded, just because I know I have so much to say and you have so much to say. Yeah. I didn't want to retread the same ground too much. And, uh, but I did say something about the push uh, of the love triangle being, I don't think it's misunderstanding the material so much as uh, reordering it. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it assigns this level of importance to it where as you pointed out and as has been documented uh in interviews in like in coverage of these books uh Peta and gail are metaphors like these are uh th these boys are metaphors for the two uh the two forks that katniss can take and yeah that is also a like it boils down to a love triangle if you want to look at it that way uh, but more importantly, uh, these books are about Katniss, and these books are about her journey in this broken world. Mm -hmm. And I understand why they took that marketing hook. All three of the children uh, were adults by the time they filmed, and they're all very beautiful and have 
pretty incredible chemistry, actually. But it doesn't end up being the most important thing about these books at the end of the day. Well, Suzanne, so Suzanne Collins, she had already had uh, a semi, a somewhat successful book series before this. Uh, Gregor the Overlander, right? Yeah, the Underland Chronicles, the star Underland. Featuring, featuring Gregor the Overlander, which is a five book series. I mean, it it did well. I have not read it. Are you familiar at all? I'm familiar with them just from having seen them, and when I worked at a bookstore, uh, sure. Uh, I remember when they were coming out, uh, and I was like, "Oh, this is a this looks neat," but I know I didn't read them. My my child at the time was too young for them, so it just went past me. But <laughs> she has like this fascinating life where, like, her father was in the Air Force, and I believe that I believe he he went to Vietnam. Uh, and like as a like in a like a, in, in, in the in a military capacity, I don't know if he fought. He may have, but he like exposed her to like war stories and Greek mythology and everything. So that like war has always been like a very important subject philosophically to her. And she was a writer for Nickelodeon. She wrote for Clarissa Explains It All. She wrote for Shelby Woo, Little Bear, Clifford's Puppy Days. Uh, Excellent series. And then she used the Underland Chronicles to kind of start exploring the concept of war in young adult fiction. But this series is the one where she was like, I want to explore the just war theory, uh, which is like a a theory that goes back to like Thomas Aquinas. Uh, What makes a war just? When is it okay to fight? And then through the main character, explore, do you go in as a like kill them all regardless of kill anyone who gets in the way because we need to win this war or do you try diplomacy do you try to go through a more peaceful like how do you choose to fight a war that you've decided is an important war and i i would i mean we'll get to it with this next two books because this book is pretty much all set up but it she amazingly does that in this book <laughs> Oh, she sure does. Yeah. So, okay. If anybody, like anybody who listens to this show has read The Hunger Games, right? Like that is just required reading of a person who enjoys YA on any level. When did you read this book? Um, Within the year of it coming out. Okay. Uh, I was, because of what apartment I was in and which couch I was sitting on and can visualize like perching on it. For an entire afternoon, only taking breaks, like, to use the bathroom and to drink water. I'm going to say it was 2009. It sounds like 2009 or 2010. It was definitely ahead of the release of the first movie. Yeah. Because uh, these books came out, like, correct. one, two, three. They were, like, 2008, 2009, 2010. They just came yeah. out one after the other. Yes. And I did immediately read the other two as soon as I finished the first one. Or rather, I think I was waiting for publication of Mockingjay by the time that came out. Okay. And I was, yeah, I was reading them when they were at their most hyped point. When they had come out, everyone knew that they were great. And the series wasn't even finished yet. Uh did you read them then or did you read them later? I believe I read them. I remember hearing about them from Alana's niece and nephew yeah. uh, and seeing the books and recognizing the covers from having seen them in like Target and places. Stunning but, cover design. Oh, we'll get to the cover design. Uh, 
because I mean, like one of the most famous magazine illustrators of all time did the cover designs. Uh, uh, but I believe I read them right after the third book came out or a little later sure. uh, because I read them just one after the other mm -hmm. uh, and was shocked at what they were actually about. Yeah. Uh, considering that the the series is called the Hunger Games series, how much that becomes like background to the actual story. Well, the Hunger uh, Games is the backdrop of this entire culture that she paints. Uh, but it is more like a, it's almost like an emblem of what it is. At the same it's like emblematic at the yeah. end of the series of what that is, like what Padam is, what the districts are, and what the capital ends up being. It is a Oh, I'm really excited to get to Mockingjay in particular, because uh -huh. I think the way that both the way the book is written and particularly the first movie is done really hits on a specific kind of dystopia. And it's so radically different from what you see in the first two books, because it becomes like this under like they're this underground phenomenon. They're they're uh, hiding out there. Uh, it's a, it's really I'm I'm just going to be babbling every once in a while about these, I think, because they're so, so good. But yeah, this book, the the war background makes a lot, or like the, the familiarity with the military and war as a concept makes a lot of sense because uh, if she didn't already have that background, Collins would have had to do an intense amount of research to get the level of detail she gets Right, here. yeah. And the amount of world building she's obviously done in the background stuff that she knows has happened that she will never actually reveal in the books, but you know that she knows the history and the geography of this region uh, so that everything, so that everything laid on top of it feels natural. Like, you know that she could tell a billion different stories within this world mm -hmm. uh, effortlessly. Uh, imagine if somebody had paid her enough to write books about every district. Well, the original title of this book, uh, there's an interview with her that she does with the, her editor, uh, and the original title of the book was the the this would not have been a bestseller title, the tribute of District Twelve. <laughs> the tribute so of District Twelve, <laughs> and the the series was called The Hunger Games, and her editor was like, "We're, we're going to change the title of The Hunger Games," and she was like, "No, you can't." <laughs> It's the title. And they're just like, we're calling it The Hunger Games. And she's like, fine. And then she's like, yeah, you're probably right. Catching Fire was originally called The Ripple Effect. And they changed that one because they were like, she's the girl on fire. Ripples are in water. You can't call it The Ripple Effect. I kind of like The Ripple Effect. Uh, but it also seems like a self-help book. It does. It does. I just like... I'm also imagining the design of Catching Fire with the title The Ripple Effect. And it doesn't make sense at all. Like... <laughs> Because that's the black one. That's the dark one. Because they're like, this time we're going even darker. No, wait, it's the red one. Just kidding. The first <laughs> one is the black one. I've just uh, been looking at like, it's just been hanging out on my couch for the last few days. Because whenever I'm not reading it, my black cat is sitting on top of it because she loves sitting on things that are black. Uh-huh. It's very good. So it's her favorite YA dystopia because she has good taste. But yeah. Speaking of YA dystopias, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Battle Royale? I've never seen Battle Royale. Oh, you never saw or read it? Yeah, I know. I know that when 
people wanted to cut the Hunger Games mm-hmm. down to size for reasons unknown, they would immediately compare it to Battle Royale and say it was just that, which I don't think is accurate. Well, because the, 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 the basic premise of Battle Royale is, which was written in 1999, made a movie into in 2000, Japanese novel, Japanese movie, is children in junior high are kidnapped and put on an island by the government and forced to fight to the death in a no man and a one man stand left standing battle royale uh on a on a they they are monitored by the government and they cannot stay in one area too long or else like things will happen in that area and they will die so and then the last person left is the winner and is taken care of for the rest of the no is not taken care of for the rest of life that's the difference uh but there are so like emotionally shattered at the end that it really doesn't matter if you're so the basic concept is the same but as many people have pointed out a suzanne collins had never heard of battle royale because it was at <laughs> still at the time fairly niche and also Stephen King had done a very similar thing with The Long Walk, which was actually one of the inspirations for the author of Battle Royale, which is dystopian government forces children to compete in a last man standing battle to the death, except this is a walking race and whoever survives gets taken care of for the rest of their life. It's the same concept. It's been done a million times. It's been done a million times and it's never been done quite like this before. No. Where we get to know, uh, we get to know the winner very well. We know the entire time she's going to win this, right? Yeah, because like we, it, she has to. She's a, she's the hero. I do love, like, I love a savior narrative. I love a one, it's a, like a, a one saves all narrative, and I especially love it when that person is not dislikable necessarily, but prickly. Yeah, I love Katniss so much and I had forgotten how much I love her. She is not nice. <laughs> but it's, she doesn't have any reason to be. She doesn't. She's bitter for solid reasons. She doesn't understand when people like her. Uh, she doesn't understand why they would like her. Uh-huh. And she doesn't know how to communicate with other people in a way that conveys any kind of compassion because she doesn't have a lot of it. Right. Because let's be fair. They live in a crap sack world. Uh, yes literally she's in squalor right there is no reason to develop uh much sympathy or empathy or compassion in the world in which they live it is a nightmare uh uh dictatorship Uh, why don't you explain just the setup like what what this world is for our sure yeah and in in so doing it uh really highlights for me how flimsy all the YA dystopia franchises that came after it were because this has such strong world building and often the world building feels pretty arbitrary in those and this is very clear cut yeah so there are 12 districts uh and the 12 districts are like concentric circles and the further you go out from district one the poorer the more poverty stricken the more ignored they are by the capital which is the ruling body of the world the entire world is called Panem. It used to, it's like, is it the world or is it used just to be North America? The North like, America, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, Pan America. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's just go with that. So, the capital being the ruling body, there was a point. Oh, there was also a 13 district at one point, which that is one of the things where I'm like, she knows exactly what this district looks like before she ever really brought it into the books. Yeah. Just amazing. 
and each district has their own purpose, like a hers is the coal mining one, the 11th district is agriculture, and they get wealthier and wealthier the closer they get to the center. The center, uh, you want to explain why these districts exist? Well, there there was yeah, a Yeah, that would help. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a revolution. And, <laughs> uh In order to suppress the people of the United States, uh, they are locked into these districts uh, by, like, what's fascinating to me is the fact that they are forced into these districts, and you're never told where they are. Uh, like, I, I believe it's, like, accepted that District 12 is, like, Appalachia. I think Yeah, I was going to say, uh, when Suzanne Collins does a reading, Katniss's accent is, like, Right. Appalachia. But we don't so. really know how far in the future this is because, yeah. and I think that's smart because the people in Pan Am don't know. You're not allowed into other districts on threat of execution. Uh, you're not allowed to really wonder aloud about what's outside of your district. Uh, you're not allowed to complain. You're being monitored the whole time. Uh, and the capital is filled with painted fops who... <laughs> delight in the torment of uh of of the people in the other districts to a cartoonish degree originally but then of course you get to see the layers of the of the capital one thing that struck me as as hilarious when this book first came out and i was reading reviews of it is that the dystopia was criticized heavily as being very unrealistic and they're like the hunger games themselves aren't possible because there's no way that uh, that a ruling class would allow the the celebrity status of its subjects, but also there's no way the subjects would allow this to continue. It's it's too grand, it's too big, it's too overwhelming for the like. It doesn't make any logistical sense. And a, it's a children's book, so it's you're you're allowed to hand wave a lot of that because you're trying to get to the point of the story. But b. 10 years of experience, 10 plus years of experience now since this book has come out, like almost 15 years or or 15 years, 15 years of history since this book came out has shown us that we have no problem sacrificing children for our own benefit. We have no problem letting children kill each other uh, if if the government will let us keep what little comforts we have. Like that has been proven time and again uh, yeah. that you you threaten people enough with a loss of their liberty they're going to allow their children to be taken away to be killed like that's just that's mm-hmm. america and so those criticisms now like i read this book and i'm like yeah i have no problem believing that people would none none yeah uh, and part of why the book was so compelling the first time i read it is because it seems so horrific so otherworldly like oh it's really imaginative of her to envision a world where people are so callous and so cruel that they set up a like a, a carnival basically of children murdering each other for the entertainment of all the land like this could never happen this time it's compelling because like oh she had a pretty good idea of what people are didn't she yeah 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 and and it's that it's that 1984 thing where people look at this and they go like oh my god you really think this is going to happen in the future? And Orwell's like, no, this isn't about the future. This okay. is about now. If you think children aren't being sacrificed on the altar of war to for the for the for the for the thrill and joy of the ruling class in 
many parts of the world, you're living in a fantasy because children, I mean, this is a very Guillermo del Toro thing, not to promote my other podcasts, but... You can promote It's Del Toro time anytime you want. One thing we cover a lot on It's Del Toro time is the fact that Del Toro's stories are always, almost always about the price of war and that price is always children. (laughs) Always the innocent, but always children. They're the ones who pay the hardest price. And this book is just basically like... Suzanne Collins taking a scalpel, cutting that theory open and just throwing its guts at you the whole time, but also making it readable for like teens. Like it's a, it's an appropriate, it's not like super graphic. It's just graphic enough to get the point across. There's only, there are only a couple parts that are particularly like, I think triggering for like a squeamish person. Mm -hmm. I am not a squeamish person, but once or twice I like, Oh no. <laughs> that is only in that is only after they've entered the arena and they're really in the throes of the actual games. Also, calling them games over and over again is uh it yeah. feels weird. Yeah, it feels like, weird and bad when I do it. It's like some sort of squid game almost. <laughs> it's almost like you're supposed to be uh physically uncomfortable to some extent while you're reading these books. And that's one of the things that I find very interesting is that these books are criticized for also for the violence that children foist that commit towards each other but not at any point is this book in any way written where we're supposed to be enjoying the hunger games yeah. battle royale is a satirical novel and you're supposed to kind of get into it it's very gory it's very explicit but it's also making a different point like the point of yeah. battle royale the government is doing this because of juvenile delinquency. So the children are intentionally being punished for to keep them in line. Hunger Games is about like is about a fascist dictatorship controlling its people and mm-hmm. doing that through the like forced observation of the execution of their children. Like it's it's a very different it's thing and it's not enjoyable. No, uh, th- I mean, the part that is enjoyable, right, the part that makes it so gripping and really hard to put down after a while is uh, this idea of perseverance for one mm-hmm. thing because Katniss is uh, the world's most stubborn protagonist. Right. She will never give up and even when she has sentiments of this is the point at which I could die, you can tell she's still thinking of six or seven ways she could maybe not die right. <laughs> in that scenario because that's how she's been taught to live. It is also about developing empathy for Mm -hmm. other people and seeing what there what else there is to live for and that is also one of the uh through lines of the novel this one in particular is her learning from Peta, a perfect angel perfect boy perfect character uh thousand out of ten no notes on Peta. minus that the bit where they are talking the night before the games, because they're the two tributes, and Katniss is very worried about what's going to happen in the games. And Peta says, what I'm worried about is that I won't stay me once mm-hmm. I'm in that arena. And it ends up being about like how these two kids refuse to be tools of the state. Like they are rebellious and in t- like before even intending to be rebellious, they begin a rebellion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. I have to say something real quick because I know at this point, if she's listening, Alana is tearing her hair out. 
So really quickly, Alana. <laughs> We're in this crap sack world, 12 districts. Once a year, each district is required to hold a lottery where they give two of their children over the age of 12 to the Capitol to compete in a, in a series of televised, uh, in a, a televised event called the Hunger Games. You're forced to watch the Hunger Games like at gunpoint and watch your children compete in this game. The Hunger Games, your children are sent to a mystery location. It could be a desert. It could be a beach. It could be an icy tundra. Uh, they are then thrown into a, a, a survival situation. There are weapons and they have to kill or be killed. And only one kid is allowed to survive. And that kid becomes the winner of the Hunger Games. Their parents and families are presumably given a, a, a good life afterwards. And... You, if you win, you have to become a trainer of the next Hunger Game uh, participants and from your district. Her sister, who is young, is 12 years old, is chosen, so she volunteers to go in her place, which is something you can do. Her district is not expected to win because they are the poorest, and the richer districts have, like, you're not supposed to do this, but they've trained kids to then volunteer and become. And so these are like, there's like these strong kids. What are they called? Uh, careers? Career tributes. Yeah. They all have incredible names like Cato and Clove. Yeah. And Foxface, which is not <laughs> her real Face's name. Foxface's name is not Foxface, but that is what we call her the entire book, which rules. <laughs> and of course, the poorer you are, you you throw your name into this into this drawing. But if you're poor, you can get money sent to you by the government if you then put your name in again. So some poor kids have their names put into the bowl like 16 times. Yeah, Gail's, uh, Katniss's best friend is in there. Mm, uh, for all of his, like, for one thing, he will volunteer in the stead of any of his siblings, if yeah. they get it. And he has three or four of them. And his name is in there as many times as it can be, depending on members of his family, so I think you are correct that it is sixteen times. Yeah. Well, no, it's sixteen times a year because it's cumulative. Oh. Each oh, year, you're right. yeah. They there's more and more. They they put your names in again for all the oh, previous yeah, years. Yeah, because he's at forty by the time. Yeah, he's at this forty. Is, yeah, this book comes around. He's uh, he yeah, he's her best friend. She's a she's a arrow user, whatever you call it, an archer, an archer uh, trained uh, by her late father to be a good hunter. Her yeah. father sounds pretty great. Yeah. Too bad we never get to meet him because he died in a mine explosion. Right. He died in a mine explosion. His wife uh, became completely despondent and uh, was unable to take care of either of her young daughters. Uh, the care of the family fell entirely to Katniss. Uh, she was fully incapable of that, but did her best. Uh, and eventually... Does she resent this? Oh, no, she loves it. Yeah, she hates it. She hates it so much. She hates her mom. Uh, yeah. You never once hear her say, like, that. there is no kindness toward her mom, and it is for understandable reasons. Uh, I think Katniss's mom is not a particularly nuanced character, but it is because it is through Katniss's eyes that we view her. Yeah, this and, whole story is first person. Yes, and it is revealed slowly, gradually, and very subtly that at one point her mother was a wonderful person. Yeah, and her mother is a like a a doctor, basically like a de facto doctor, a uh, healer. A healer less. is what they call her, but she uses like they all live off the land, what little land there is. Yeah, and she um she is like a like uh, produces like herbal uh, remedies, more like Eastern medicine essentially. Yeah. And uh, she and the youngest daughter kind of work together and do that. Youngest daughter Prim is apparently perfect uh 
adorable 12-year-old girl who's getting entered in the Hunger Games for the first time. Katniss only has a soft spot for Prim and for Gale and for the memories of her father. Yeah. Uh, Peta is the baker's son whose wife, or the baker's wife, is not like Joanna Gleason in the original Broadway cast of Into the Woods. She sure uh, isn't. This baker's wife is mean. She's so and- mean. And cruel. But one time when she was younger and Katniss was starving, uh, Peta tossed her some discarded bread. Uh, and she doesn't know why he would do that. But you find out later it's because he's a nice person and doesn't he's want He's a nice person who also has had a crush on her lifelong. Yeah. Always had a crush on Katniss. We figure this out a lot sooner than Katniss does. This would feel obtuse if we did not understand so well that Katniss doesn't trust people. She doesn't trust the motivations of people. So much of the book is spent on her trying to figure out why Peta, like what motivates him, because she can't understand basic goodness when it's never been around her. You know, right. it's, it doesn't it's help very that- sad. Yeah. The the framework of the Hunger Games itself again it's a it's a game it's a reality show that people yes. watch on screen. Uh, it is dictated by the game makers, like the people who create the game, but also it's based on the Pan Am version of ratings. So the mm-hmm. more the more the audience likes you, uh, the more they are the more they are compelled by your story that you have set up. Uh, the more likely you are to get sent gifts in the arena and those gifts can save your life. And so she suspects that because PETA admits on national television that he has a crush on her. uh, But there is that possibility in her mind and in the reader's mind, I assume that he's just savvy enough to know how to play the play the game, like get sympathy from the audience because a love story in the arena where you're eventually going to have to kill your crush is is compelling TV. Also, Woody Harrelson is there. <laughs> well, let's. I'm going to correct you, but I will never correct you again after this one time. The Woody Harrelson character <laughs> is named Hamish Abernathy, <laughs> and is uh, I'm sure she wasn't writing it at the time, thinking Woody Harrelson will play this man. But it is uncanny because he is going to fill the shoes perfectly when he is cast in this role. Because the only living tribute uh, who won the Hunger Games in District 12 is an absolute mess, an absolute drunken mess of a man named Hamish Abernathy. He's a real jerk, but he does actually have a heart of gold that takes the entire book to uncover. Yeah. And his heart of gold is so covered in so many layers of like grime and booze. <laughs> and we love him. We, we love, I love him so much. And he's not a, a grump with a heart of gold because that's a fun character. He's a grump no. with a heart of gold because each year he has to train two children to go get murdered. To go die, yeah. In, a, a... in, a, in an arena. And he's been doing this for decades now. Yeah. Be- it's why yeah. both him and, I mean, it's not. It's obviously not the only reason, but both him and uh, F.E. Trinket, who is the capital representative, like the capital ambassador to District 12, because all districts have this, like somebody from the capital comes and uh, like fetch it like draws the names yeah uh, at the reaping uh for the who the tributes are going to be and then also kind of coaches them brings them back over uh does actual coaching as uh, like alongside the woody harrelson character in this right. uh <laughs> it, it's in their interest 
to make you a presentable competitor. So you go, you get taken to the Capitol after you're reaped, which yes. is a wonderful thing to say about a human. The reaping, yeah, it's a, it's very catchy. And uh. you're you're fed, you're exercised, you're trained, you're given a complete makeover. All the hair is removed from your body, apparently. Katniss's uh, is... makeover sounded brutal to me this time. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of descriptions of being forced to stand completely naked in front of people scrutinizing your body, uh, which is one of those things where, you know, people like commenters on the books are like, it's not it's also not not just a war story. It is a story about being a 12 year old growing into an adult like it's this is a story about the expectations we put on children. Uh, and the scrutiny that we apply to their bodies, their their attitudes, and uh, I mean, I, it's, I'm not the first person to say that The Hunger Games is essentially a microcosm of of high school, a junior high <laughs> and high school. <laughs> uh, there's a little bit more murder. Uh, so <laughs> hey, like Christy, it's 2023. Uh, <laughs> I said a little. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I don't mean also, to. I don't mean to giggle at that. No, I know <laughs> it's okay if you do. It's 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 fun. Uh, no. Uh, so Effie Trinket, sorry, is the other yes. character who is helping coach them. That's their capital representative. Uh, and one of the reasons she is a very compelling character is because Katniss hasn't learned empathy yet and cannot see, cannot understand Effie's motivations just as much as she can't understand Hamish's motivations in fully different ways. But by the end of the book. Katniss really comes around particularly on Effie because she starts to realize this would be an awful life to live for this woman who has been raised in luxury, but also her job is to see the very worst of what her government has done mm-hmm. uh, to a group of people who never asked for this and like never do not deserve this. We're not there for the initial conflict. Like it's but it. It also yeah. walks that line, though, because while you're allowed to see this through Katniss's eyes, Suzanne Collins never expects you to fully sympathize with any of the people from the Capitol. Because oh, while no. while you see that they are in a bind as well, they still live in luxury. Yeah. Uh, and they're not yet doing anything to change this, as far as we know. Oh, uh, no. Uh, I mean, you have what? Yeah. T- it's really. Okay. It's a uniquely well-cast set of adaptations that we have coming up. And uh-huh. I do just visualize all of those people when I am talking about these books. So we have like a like the Stanley Tucci character, Caesar Flickerman. There's a character who is doing exactly what is asked of him. Uh, he is the person who, on television, on like one of these required broadcasts, interviews all of the tributes, uh, tries to draw out their stories, and apparently is... Like, outwardly very kind, very uh, engaging, really charming, and, like, shows a degree of sympathy to them on camera. And we don't get anything to dispel this. Like, we never hear that he is a bad guy or anything, but he is a tool of the capital, and you never forget that. Yeah. They remind you, like, well, his his skin is painted entirely blue today, or something like that. Like, he's, like, all of these people also are insane looking. Like, the opulence of the capital is such that... Uh, they all look like cartoons, but beautiful, polished cartoons. And there's there's a real uh, uh, North Korea uh, uh, feel to a lot of this, where the people, the few people at the top, uh, are living almost like an idyllic uh, 
Hollywood dream. Mm-hmm. And the difference, of course, being that they are not trying to convince their their subjects that they are actually in a good place. But the the the, the totalitarianism is so extreme. Just the sense that she meets a servant who is unable to communicate because her her tongue has been removed because of a crime she committed and what was the crime trying to get out yep <laughs> uh, and then forced into servitude for the rest of your life but you can yeah. also be given the same punishment for talking to one of these people yes yeah. uh which Katniss attempts to do Multiple times because she, there are some things, there are some tricks, uh, there are some, uh, some uh, lovable scant moves, uh, Katniss pulls that do, would get her very severely punished under the circumstances of her being anything but a tribute. Like, they need her. Uh, and by the time she does some of these things, she has already become a compelling figure in the eyes of many. I mean, it takes Katniss no time at all to use her natural, like, surliness and, it, to some extent about some things cluelessness uh to become a media darling like, yes everyone loves Candace. everyone loves Peta. uh the reasons they love Peta are very obvious he's the sweet boy in love he's he seems like handsome and, and broad-shouldered and uh he's so sweet and uh has this like possibly unrequited crush on this girl then Katniss uh loves the lamb stew they give her in the capital loves her her dress twirls and uh, shoots a shoots an arrow uh, into an apple in a pig's mouth. <laughs> she does all of these things. And one thing that they're very good at there, she Suzanne Collins is very good at, is not giving away in this book the motivations of the Capitol. Like we're told, this is what they do to keep the public in line, but we don't really know their end game because it would seem that as long as the game is kept interesting, that's all that matters. But as the game goes on, so Katniss is, of course, thrown into the arena, into this wooded area with with Peta and all the rest of the tributes. She immediately runs to hide. And the whole the rest of the book becomes sort of this story of survival, of her trying to not get killed, avoid the careers, get her hands on a bow and arrow and uh, and figure out like what her allegiances are, because you kind of have to partner up with someone, even though you know you're going to have to kill them eventually. Uh, yeah. And- yeah. Yeah. So, like, the games are happening because the capital is exerting control over these people. They're saying, look at how kind we are to you usually. Now we will throw your children in a ring and they will kill each other. Uh, you will have to watch it. And that is how we end up at the games. And that is how we end up, like, up in trees with Katniss for a bit. Because the environment that they stick them in, is she is actually pretty well suited yes. to it. She... Goes and hunts in the woods when she is home. She hunts in the woods daily, uh, which is technically illegal. But the peacekeepers, by the way, great thing. The cops in this world are called peacekeepers. peacekeepers. Uh, and they sometimes beat people in the public square. And it's just a nice little uh, it's just a nice little F you to, to uh. policemen everywhere. <laughs> but uh, um, she she and Gail both like trade on the black market. They will. Uh, they like she will shoot rabbits she will shoot whatever because she's this incredible she's incredible with a bow yeah so you're right she has to find a bow and arrow when she is in the ring uh but before she can do that she has to like find water she has to find basic supplies 
the a lot of the action, like a lot of the more uh, gruesome sequences, take place in the very center of the arena, which is the cornucopia, which is where all the supplies are when it starts, and what they are like, what all twenty four tributes are surrounding when the games begin. Yeah, and yeah, so you you mentioned that she spends a lot of time up in the trees. Which oh, she's is, in a tree so much for a while, like which is smart. You know, it's not boring either because she because from that vantage point, she and then we uh, learn a lot about the other people playing the game. Like we find out one of the people she one of the people she eventually allies with, Rue, the uh, pint-sized girl, the twelve-year-old girl from District Eleven, uh, has just been leaping from tree to tree at all times in order to survive, in order to find food. Uh, she's from the agriculture district. She, she's been tilling fields her whole life, so she knows what is and isn't edible. Uh, Katniss would not learn that if she weren't in a tree opposite room. Yeah. She wouldn't see that PETA has inexplicably to her teamed up with the careers. Yeah, uh, which is a shocking revelation at that That point. actually, like, even... Uh, okay, I've read these books a couple times. I think this is the third time through now. I've seen the movies a couple times. Still surprising, uh, like, still good plot move there. Because it, it obviously ends up making sense. But in the moment, you feel betrayed because mm-hmm. this boy has been so sweet the whole time. And why would he be hanging out with the pure evil children? Well, plus you're putting Katniss's head the whole time. So you're like, well, maybe he is a manipulative, like, so-and-so. Yeah. And it's worth noting that the reason she is good at being in trees, like Rue, is that Book Katniss is fit and athletic, but small and very wiry and yes. doesn't weigh much. So she can climb higher in trees than the careers can, who are all muscular, athletic, like that kind of built person. Right, and, and boys better are fed. beefy boys. And the girls also have been trained their entire lives to be the kind of like to have like lithe strength. Yeah. Uh and while that's all well and good when they're on the ground and doing hand to hand, it's true it does not help them ascend to the heights that Katniss can. Which is and a plot Katniss point is, at one part. Yes, it's true. And Katniss is clever enough to strap herself onto a branch. Like uh, if she finds a sturdy enough branch, she kind of uses her belt as a seatbelt, and it's uh-huh. so impressive. Oh, she's so great. Every every tiny detail in this book feels just like immaculately like delicately put there like every sentence is a little bit of a gift like hey by the way we know Peta can paint cakes well like we know he's good at frosting the cakes right. in the bakery i wonder if that will ever come back up again who buys those frosted cakes the peacekeepers i assume i guess uh that, that, they're that... always celebrating their wives birthdays with a beautifully frosted like rose yeah. decorated cake buying yeah, a... it is weird Buying a squirrel from Katniss. Uh, it's worth oh, yeah, also. The ba- yeah, uh, Baker Boy's dad loves a squirrel. It's worth pointing out also that this is the futury future. So there is- are genetically modified animals everywhere, including tracker jackers, which are genetically modified wasps that had been used as a weapon and now are just uh, free, roam free, and they can like kill you and cause horrible hallucinations with their stings. There's, uh, there's... They all have uh, wonderful names. Like, mm-hmm. we got Mocking the tracker jackers. Yeah. Mockingjays, which are a birds that had been used to communicate. They could imitate human voices. Spies, but that had bred with 
They were a bird that bred with mockingbirds. Now they can't talk, but they can imitate any. Yep, jabber tune. jays and mock and mockingbirds yeah. uh, combined to form mockingjay. Mockingjay uh, being that the iconic, the actual literal iconic design that is on the covers is the pin that Katniss wears. It is the token of her district, which everyone has one given of. to her by the mayor's daughter, who Katniss always thought was just a stuck-up rich girl. And then it was later on when she's looking at the pen and she's like, I think that girl was my friend. Yeah, she's she's talking about it very casually. Like, we eat lunch together sometimes yeah. like, because other people don't really want to talk to her because she's rich. And uh, <laughs> But Katniss doesn't care about that. Yeah, uh, the social dynamics of the school are never really tapped into, which I right. appreciate. Uh, the fact yeah. that they have school in the first place surprises me. Like, What are they even learning there? Like, uh, Does the government demand it? Like, Why yeah, would they uh, even want these people to learn at this they point? They don't want them to be smart. Because there's there's actually one point, uh, like intelligence as, a, uh, as an asset in the games is touched on, because during one of the many hours PETA and Katniss end up spending together, which we'll get to, uh, they're, they're trying to determine how Hamish could have possibly won the games. Hamish doesn't seem to have particularly strong constitution. It doesn't look like he ever could have been any kind of strong or fierce or good fighter. And they just come to the conclusion, oh, he outsmarted everyone else. There's uh -huh. no other way he won this. Yeah. They don't want them to be smart. They want them to be easy to kill. Yeah. They also mentioned, they mentioned a few scenarios, like a, 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 a competitor who won because she feigned being a helpless child until she, they found out that she was like really good with an ax or something like at the last, like, you just wait till everyone kills each other off. Everyone ignores you because you're not a threat. And then you can just go ham on them with whatever you pick up <laughs> off the ground. There was a there was a year when uh, they had to, like, reorder the strategy the year after because uh, watching people get, like, uh, get dehydrated and mm -hmm. die that way or watching people freeze to death. These are both boring things. Uh, so that raises the question I was leading to earlier, which is yes. the, the, the capital is able to alter the game both physically and rules-wise. So they can alter the environment. They can make it rain. They can make fire come out of the ground just to keep you on your toes if things get boring because they're going to lose viewers. Mm -hmm. Which I was also just... That made me wonder, like, I was like, we don't know any of these answers yet, but why is it important that people watch this? What benefit does the capital get from people being entertained by it? And also, if they can change the rules on a, on the fly like they do, which is, I guess, rare, but it happens in the story... Do people are pe do people know that the rules have changed? Are they annoyed the rules have changed? And when they try to change the rules back, isn't that bad for ratings or whatever? I'm not sure if it matters to the capital at this point. Okay, just from this book, uh, who wins? Uh, how entertaining? Like to me, it's just there. It's it's established that this is a punishment and shown we mm -hmm. are keeping you or kids in place, but then. We are also told that it is important that people don't lose interest, even though they are being forced to watch. So it's a weird dynamic that we have. We haven't met the president yet. We don't like until the very end. We don't know much about this world, but it's it's bizarre and it seems contradictory at this point. <laughs> And it deepens. Uh, we start to understand better over time what the machinations of the capital are. But it's a little puzzling at this point, right? Because, like, Katniss also doesn't really understand it. Like, Katniss's limited understanding is that this is a thing that she lives in fear of. Her worst fear is confirmed. And uh, she just has to survive. Like, this is just a survival situation for her. Um, it's also the interesting thing about Katniss where 
she does not value her own life. She values the lives of her sister and her mother. And right. she knows that if she dies, then they die. Mm-hmm. And it's part of it is one of it is the part of her that is sincere that shines through that people latch onto when during the media blitz. Uh it is also eventually what is going to make her like the this like <laughs> This rebel, this almost mar- like almost as a martyr for the cause, like very, yeah. uh, very, uh, very nearly, uh, because oh, that's a good scene. Um, <laughs> 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 it's a good scene. It is also also one of the ones where I forgot quite how sharp the impact was going to be in that moment for me, where it's just like a it's a really good, really good twist there. But yeah. Um, so Candace wins the Hunger Games. No, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that actually isn't what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is what, it, uh, it's not really what happens. Right. Yeah. Because, and, it, and it's cool that Suzanne Collins is able to do this because you know she's going to win. She's narrating the story at this point. And you know that even if you, you're aware that there's more books coming out. So you're like, okay, right. we, we have a feeling Candace is going to survive this book. It's cool that she manages to put enough twists in how it comes about that it's still Interesting, but before she does, uh, her little friend Rue dies. Oh, uh, do we have to talk about this? Could we just like skip over this whole part because? And she sings Rue a song that. But her why would you? No, you don't have to dwell. Mother on what used happens. to sing. Oh, Rue also will live on in the in the in the in the trilling of the Mockingjays, who remember a song that Rue used to sing as a as a signal for from her district, but uh, uh. She sings Rue this song as Rue is dying. Uh, she is, I believe, transpierced. And it's she a very moving She puts flowers on her body and then they take her away. Because they always, uh, there's a hovercraft that comes down and takes away a body after somebody has died and they shoot off a cannon and that's how you know a tribute has died. And then at the end of the, day, of the night, they project into the sky television footage of their death uh, and a very Bachelor-esque, like, let's take a look at the highlight reels of the day. And it just like, gets they shown up in this, the sky. They play this nuts, uh, like, like a, like, a, like a big, like, crescendoing, like, movie score music when they yeah. do it in, I mean, in the movies. Uh, and I'm sure they do it in the books, too. Yeah, Rue has this little melody, this uh, four-note melody that I'm not going to do because a whistle will sound really awful on mic. But it's, uh, it's memorable. Um, and if you want to cry about it, and I, which I'm sure you have, uh, I have. listen to Tatiana Mazzolani <laughs> read that section through her own actual tears and then sing the song to a beautifully simple melody while she's doing it. And then say in her interview, she's like, yeah, that was a rough. That was a rough. Uh, she's like, I'm, I'm mostly happy that Katniss wasn't supposed to really be able to sing because it took the pressure off of me. Uh, it's a beautiful moment in the in her reading of it. It's done really well. Uh, so, yeah. like at this point in the book, Katniss has already been pretty endeared to the audience. The game makers have rated her as like a threat, uh, like a very uh, challenging competitor. She's not really. It takes her a minute to kill anyone. Uh, she gets one eventually, I believe. When Rue dies, is that when she uh, she mm-hmm. has to kill somebody? Yep, yep. Who? I mean, the guy who kills Ruth. The uh, the guy who pierces her with a spear. Um, not great. Not a not a not a great moment. For no, doesn't involved. she manipulate the other guy into killing him when he finds out? 
that Rue was no, killed? No, that is uh, she manipulates the other guy into killing the woman who is taunting her. Oh, that's right. That's right. Girl. That's right. Yeah, because like we do have a ton of like I don't we don't have time to cover each and every one of them. But no. There are some <laughs> incredibly clever kills throughout here. Uh, Rue and Katniss team up to drop a nest, uh, like a, a hive of uh, tracker jackers yeah. on the the career tributes. And when a tracker jacker stings you, it causes like indescribable pain and horrific hallucinations. And yeah. this, uh, and like a, a lot of the people, like none of the career tributes are prepared for that kind of thing because they didn't think that they would be put under that strain. So uh, yeah, that's a, it's a fun scene. So that happens. Rue dies. Uh, Katniss is getting more and more gifts uh, because sponsors love that kind of thing, including the people of District 11 sending her some bread, yes. uh, which made me cry again, because uh, she took care of Rue after she died. And uh, over through this, like, we're think- like, PETA seems like he's working with the careers. He's not really. This is to get him an advantage so he can continue to win himself and to protect Katniss. Yeah. That's also a thing that he's doing because he loves Katniss. Uh, by the way, PETA loves Katniss. PETA is in <laughs> love with Katniss. Uh, PETA's feelings for Katniss are like the purest, sweetest feelings a boy can possibly have. He never wants to do anything but just uh, like ele- like like uh, innocently smooch Katniss. <laughs> uh, by the way, PETA also ends up making himself into a Stan Winston creation uh, <laughs> later on when he's trying to hide. He gets he gets injured by one of the tribu- uh, run of the uh, one of the careers yeah. and hides himself in the muck by using his bakery magic. He's a expert cake designer, so that means he can disguise himself as as nature's cake. I do want to point out that you say he tries to. He succeeds. See, no, he's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, no one sees him. He has to talk to Katniss. Uh, she thinks she's hallucinating when he yeah. talks Because her. it's like that scene in Predator where Arnold Schwarzenegger is covered in swamp and he he suddenly opens his eyes and all you see is eyes. You're like, huh. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, I remember it being weird in the movie. Can't wait for that. Uh, this is around the time they team up and yeah. uh Katniss realizes that Hamish would want her to play up the romance angle of the two of them teaming up. Uh they take care of each other. She has to nurse him back to health from his injury. Uh so his leg is very damaged. Um yeah. his leg is very damaged the rest of the book and in fact does not really exist as the leg it once was at the end of the book. Uh yeah. She also yeah. gets terribly burned when they set part of the uh district on fire and she gets salve from Hamish and other medicines get sent to her that she ends up sharing with PETA because he's got infections like the kills are somewhat graphic but the descriptions of the wounds are so much worse so cringy at times so much worse and uh what was I gonna say it's about Katniss it's about Katniss getting gifts We'll get there in a second. Was it about the Hunger Games by It Suzanne was probably Collins? about the Hunger Games somehow. I assume it had something to do with the Hunger Games. No, uh, yeah, the district... The, oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. No, it's fine. Oh, I've got they, nothing. The, the capital changes the rules partway through, though. That's where I was going, too. Yes, yeah. yes. They uh, decide that if two people from one district are still alive at the end, then they are both the victors. Hooray. We know when they say this that this is not going to be true. And Katniss knows that in her heart of hearts. 
But that doesn't mean she is not going to work with PETA on this. Which is, that's where my question is, is does the viewing audience, is the viewing audience privy to that rule change? Or is only the competitors? Because to me, if I was a viewer and they changed that rule, I'd be like, oh, well, that's weird. Okay, but now I guess I can root for the lovers again. And then when they change it, spoilers, again at the end, that would just tick me off as a viewer. But if only the competitors were privy to it, then as a viewer, I would be like, oh, where's this going? I That's a really good question. I would like Suzanne Collins to answer it because I think I like it better if they do not know. Right. So that it looks a lot more interesting and it also makes more sense on the part of uh, the capital to make them do what what is undoubtedly more interesting, which is fall in love. Because uh, Katniss doesn't know how she feels about PETA. And we know that. She knows yeah. that she believes she should be taking care of him for both their sake, for like both their survival, and because she knows it will make things comparatively easier for them. But she also knows that Gail, who she's not in love with, but that she has complicated feelings about, is also seeing all of this play out in real time at home. Yes. And I love that it's mentioned. It's important. But it's not given the most important weight. Like, no. it's a consideration, no. but it's not like, I, I can't I can't upset my love because she's still no. just like, I have to survive to the end of this. It is. It's never that important to her. Like, uh, I mean, it is important to her, but she's very easy. Like, she needs to compartmentalize it. And she does that out of necessity. The right. only time she really dwells on it are like when they are on their way back after having won, when she is realizing that she doesn't even know how she feels about PETA. This is also when he finds out that maybe she was uh, kind of faking it the whole time, which is heartbreaking. But yeah, oh, the, so uh, as the games progress, uh, numbers get lower and lower. There's some pretty spectacular kills. Uh, the capital releases the hounds. Uh, yes, there are um, mutations, which are either the actual parts of the body of the tributes, which wouldn't be possible in all the cases because some there were some eye injuries, or uh, they took the genes because <laughs> they were tracking them. They could have very easily obtained genetic material from the yeah. genes. Uh, the last, uh, like the last trick the capital throws at them like the last obstacle is uh, a pack of wild dogs slash wolves slash humanoid (laughs) creatures because they can stand on their hind legs and they can like they can climb sorta they have four inch claws that all look like the tributes that have been murdered right uh which which katniss figures out in real time she's like wait a minute i recognize rue's eyes and somehow uh pita gets the chance to say uh like it gets the chance to ask if those are the actual eyes and she's like you know there is no time for this (laughs) wait are those does it just look like their (laughs) eyes or did they like take out the eye yeah yeah The, the question we're all wondering it's basically that. I mean, I am curious once he presents this <laughs> question. So they are at that point in the in the book. We have three tributes left. Yeah, we have Peta, we have Katniss, and we have Cato. Uh, Cato. Cato, who I think is uh, District Two. He is one of the career tributes. Mm-hmm. He is just a. He might be District One. Sorry, guys. Uh, he is a brutal killer. The item the Capitol has most recently granted him, or the sponsors have, is a full body armor, but it doesn't cover his face. Nor does it cover his hand, which works out really well when he is trying to 
He's trying to choke Peta to death. Peta gestures down at his bare hand, and Katniss shoots him in the hand with an arrow. And it rules, and they're a great team, and we love them together. And never, never the two shall part. But she also does the kind thing and puts him out of his misery. That actually is a wonderful scene, too. Because he's pinned down by the Matations, and they are not killing him. They no, are... for so long he's pinned down by the Matations. Like, yeah, it's they can't bite through hours. his armor. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and of course the capital is like, the capital wants this death to be spectacularly drawn out. And eventually, uh, yeah, Katniss uh, takes the shot. Kato's last breath is spent like gurgling, please kill me. <laughs> Pretty good stuff. Pretty good Cannon. kids book. <laughs> and then uh, then they have the announcement of, uh, just kidding, only one of you can win. Katniss and, and Peter Brad yeah. go and take the poison berries they have, which yeah, accidentally the, killed uh, yeah, Foxface. Poison berries get removed from... Uh, from Cadness's like pouch on the belt, uh, and uh, they're both about to eat them, Romeo and Juliet style, except at the same time instead, which is even more dramatic. And then uh, Claudius Templesmith yells, "No, no, we were wrong. We were actually you could both you could both win." And they both uh, win, which is the amazing ending of the book because it's a power move on their part, and the Capitol knows it's a power move on their part. The Capitol can't do anything to punish them publicly for for making the Capitol lose face. But now they're in danger and so are their families and so are their districts because they made the Capitol look like fools. So this victory is very bittersweet. It is. And you say it's the end of the book, but actually we get this torturous denouement uh -huh. <laughs> where they go on a victory tour. Uh, and the victory tour is preceded by both of them being brought back to health in what we can only assume are like very sci-fi tech advanced ways because yeah. they should both be dead at this right. point or uh, severely may like disfigured. Oh, yeah. Yes, but they said both... they're they're fully back to tanked and and better. Like yeah. uh, Katniss is missing the scars that she had prior to the games. Like right. it's. And then uh, uh, Hamish wants her to play up the love angle. Like, it's like, you. this is the only way that'll happen without you getting killed or something. Like, they're going to do something terrible to you if you don't act like an innocent little girl at this point. Yeah. And, you know, the threat is there over them and, again, over their families because <laughs> they have a lot to lose. And it's, and it's at this point that this series goes from a dystopian like teen like i guess hunger game like that's what this, <laughs> that's what this became is the genre a hunger games genre basically uh, yes yeah. to oh this is about something even bigger now because there's two books left and they won the hunger games what what happens now and <laughs> what happens now we will get to but it is actually amazing what Suzanne Collins manages to pull off in this series. Would you be satisfied with just the one book? If she hadn't gone on, would we be like, cool, great? I mean, there's unanswered questions, but I do feel like she wrote 
a solid dystopian novel because it is perfectly legitimate to end a dystopian novel with like celebrate the one victory you got because that doesn't solve anything. Okay. And and uh, it'd be like if you ended Star Wars with New Hope, which was, you know, could have happened. You've still got a solid story, but no one's problems have been solved. Yeah. So I think I would be okay with it. I'm so happy we get to keep reading it. I'm so I'm so glad that we can uh can we can move forward with Candace first uh first in Jennifer Lawrence form and then yes. get back to the even grittier reality that is book Candace. Uh so yeah, this book did well. You sure? Uh, this book <laughs> did really well thanks to the thanks to the public stumping of John Green himself. That's always uh, a, you got to get that green bump. This is all you need. Yeah, but the same, yeah, he's a, this actually immediately before Fault in Our Stars, I think. But uh, but yeah, he did the review for the New York Times. And what's interesting though is that in Entertainment Weekly, uh, Stephen King tore this book a new one, <laughs> and absolutely <laughs> hated it. It's his review is, I think, ugly. Like I think it's very mean-spirited uh how much he attacks this this book um that's also the, just a little strange that's a weird right and a... <laughs> some people have said that it's jealousy on the part of him because he wrote the long walk and feels like this is a ripoff of that or something he he just says it's just a stupid love story a uh Collins is an efficient, no-nonsense pro stylist with a pleasantly dry sense of humor. Um, he says it's basically the the literary equivalent, though, of playing a shoot-it-if-it-moves video game in the lobby of a local 8plex. You know it's not real, but you keep plugging in quarters anyway. Um, he doesn't know if you'll, people will care enough to stick around and find out what happens next. He gives it a B. But again, <laughs> it's it's Entertainment Weekly, so... So he's lambasting it, basically, which is like... Yeah. Huh. I think it's an unfair review. Like, I think, I don't know. King, you know Stephen King. He can be. I know weird. Steve, I, I, uh, as our friend Gina Redwood calls him, Uncle Steve. No. Uh, he, he misses. He occasionally misses. Yes, he he did. He miss. He's an, old, he's an older gentleman who probably isn't the target audience in 2008 for The Hunger Games. Probably not. He. I mean, this is a man who has been given many opportunities, like, like on a silver platter uh, to explain why the one scene in it that should not exist is there and every time he just digs himself a little bit deeper he's like come on thematically it makes sense no it doesn't no uh, Ah. if every if anyone wants to google my masterwork uh in 2014 2015 i wrote a list for now defunct blog the toast called how to tell you're in a stephen king book and I just uh, I recommend going and checking that out so you can see what my feelings are on Stephen King, which is uh, I love him. Oh, boy, we would have a lot to talk about. <laughs> well, yeah, he's he is Uncle Steve. He is he's like Uncle Steve. your older uncle who you love him. But sometimes he just sometimes when you find out he's coming to dinner, you're like, I don't have the energy. Right. I now. don't have the energy for this today. Yeah. Uh, you know what I do have the energy for? What? Watching this movie. <laughs> uh, we didn't even talk about the two-finger salute. 
Well, three fingers. Is it three fingers? Yes, three fingers. Uh, My last uh, like uh, Christmas photo with my family. We're doing that. (laughs) We were. I didn't even know we were going to talk about this at this point. That is (laughs) that that devoted to the Hunger Games as a concept. Uh, Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I'm a clock running out for me. I have more to say about this. I'm literally going to budget more time for future episodes on this because I can't. Like, there's too much. Fortunately. Whatever you have to say, you can also say next episode, because what's our next episode going to be? Our next episode is about the first movie uh, in the Hunger Games adaptations, the uh, Francis Lawrence-directed The Hunger Games. Yeah. Turns out this book was successful, and they made a movie of it. They made a movie of it, and the movie is good. So, uh, yeah, that'll be our next thing. We're, 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 we're trucking our way through these Hunger Games, and uh, <laughs> so so stick with us. Um, and if you want to hear me talk more about Stephen King uh, this week on It's Still Toro Time, we were discussing Stephen King's The Monkey, which is about a wind-up monkey that plays I'm really the excited for that episode. <laughs> really uh, excited. So uh, listen to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Pizza Toast Pod at Gmail. I should check that someday. Yeah. Uh, Pizza Toast Pod Twitter. Pizza Toast Podcast on the Facebook. Uh, yep. I am not on Twitter. Phil is on Twitter at P. Corey Gonzalez. You should follow I am. Him. His uh, tweets about Skinnamarink did really well. My tweets about Skinner Rink did very well. Uh, and we're also excited because we found out, we saw the trailer for uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Just put that in your pocket and we'll yeah, talk just, about uh, that just, some uh, other time. Talk that away. Uh, multiple people have been like, are you going to see that? And I do not know how to answer that question without going, ha. <laughs> because of course I am. Of course I uh, am. Who do they think I am? Okay. Uh, what are we saying goodbye to? Um, Rue. Say goodbye to Rue and sing her a beautiful song and put flowers on her, even though the capital won't let you see the part with the flowers because that would that would be too much. Okay. Goodbye, Rue. Goodbye, Rue.